Next up is uh, Key Jeffries from uh, Oxen. He's going to talk about Monero and more things. Hey guys, uh, really good to be here at this conference. And uh, yeah, that was a super exciting talk. Got me really fucking hyped up. So, um, I mean, my talk is probably going to be much, much, much less interesting. So just a forewarning. Uh, so who am I? Uh, I'm the CTO at Oxen and by extension session, LokiNet, all of the things that we work on. Um, we started in 2018 um, or early 2019. So we've been working in this space for a long time. Um, we forked Monero, a code fork, not a blockchain fork in 2019. Um, and we are probably one of the more actively developed, uh, Monero forks out there. So, um, I think we're about six or 7,000 lines of code or well, not lines of code, uh, commits diverged now from Monero. Um, and a lot of the stuff that we built, um, in Oxen has also, well, some of the stuff that we built in Oxen has also been merged back to Monero as well. Stuff like IPv IPv6 support, um, was a notable contribution. And yeah, we also have layer two applications. So session, um, most of you will have heard of, um, and those layer two applications are probably pushing around 600,000 monthly active users. So lots of stuff there. Um, so the reason that I wanted to give this talk was that, um, we forked Monero in 2018 and we've, um, spent a lot of time, uh, developing a infrastructure for, um, enabling different kind of applications on our layer one. So we've been able to provide instant finality for tra for transactions, we've been able to provide checkpointing, um, and we've also been able to transition into a proof of stake network as well. So I'm kind of giving this talk as a way to offer a model to the Monero community that they could adopt if they wanted to go down that direction. I know there isn't a lot of support um, out there for proof of stake, but I think it's important that the projects that have gone down that route at least make it clear why they why they did so. Um, so yeah, we'll go through the layer two, how to build all, build all of this stuff on CryptoNode, um, and just our other applications as well. Um, so why did we want to create a layer two in the first place? Why did we, why did we start out um, down this path? The first thing was, it wasn't really for traditional scaling reasons. A lot of um, blockchains will create a layer two because they want to have, say, a million transactions per second or some you know, laudable goal. Um, we didn't really do it for that reason. We wanted to develop applications. Um, we saw applications like Signal and Tor and thought, how could we have a civil resistant or a decentralized network um, where we would enable some of those applications? Um, so that's prim primarily why we started um, Oxen. And we also wanted to provide improvements for layer one. So we saw coins out there in 2018 like Dash, um, which were using this essentially like a master layer to bring qualities back to the layer one. And that's essentially why we wanted to start. So what was required? Um, so the step, the step one, the first step that we kind of need is we need staking and rewards. Um, this is the most basic aspect of any kind of um, layer two that you, you would establish. Uh, and then also the second layer is we want to have like a network infrastructure. So um, we want to have some resources that the network can be provided. That can be the bandwidth, bandwidth resources, computational resources. I'll talk about that a bit more. Uh, and then also network policing to ensure that those resources that are provided to the network are held to a certain standard. So how do we build it? Um, the first kind of challenge we had was how do we do staking on top of CryptoNote? Because obviously everything is private. You need to have auditability of the um, transactions that are being staked. Um, so there was kind of, we needed a way to lock coins and we needed also a way to associate those coins with an entity. So our first approach was to use time-locked outputs. So Monero has 
uh, this feature called unlock time. Um, and essentially it allows you to send a transaction uh, where the outputs in that transaction are locked for an arbitrary period of time. You lock them for 30 days, you can lock them for, I think the max is like, you know, millions of years or something like that. Um, so essentially the first approach was the user would send a transaction to themselves for the, um, the staking amount that was required to stake on the chain. Um, and they would lock that to themselves for 30 days. Um, and they would also, in the TX Extra, expose the transaction key, which allowed anyone to come along, read the blockchain, um, and work out the amounts um, that were being staked. Um, it, a bit of a different model than, than what was um, presented before with um, proof of stake on top of CryptoNote. Um, yeah, so now anyone could scan through and, and verify that a person is staking. Uh, and then we also needed a way to uh, associate those coins with an entity. So basically, we also put a uh, a generated head 25519 key in the um, transaction extra and that allows uh, signatures to be recognized off chain as associated with a particular stake cool so that was the first version um, wasn't great because uh, basically you'd have to restake every 30 days so you would you know, stake to the network then your stake would expire you'd have to do it again we had some software that would do this automatically, but then you're kind of keeping your keys in memory, which isn't very good practice. Um, and also the way that unlock time works by default is that you, uh, when you send the transaction, you also lock the change that's coming back as well. So we needed to do some interesting like output management strategies where the user would like kind of sweep to themselves before they would lock um, their coins. Otherwise their change would get locked, which is obviously not good. Um, so yeah, instead, the, the second approach we looked at was what if we could use key images, um, because key images essentially identify, tr like transact, well, they stop double spends um, by identifying like the unique part of a transaction. Uh, so what we essentially did was uh, the user would send a transaction to themselves. In that transaction, well, that would be the, the amount of the stake as well that they would send to themselves. They would then expose the transaction, um, the TX key and the TX extra. And from that, uh, with all of that information, you can calculate the future key image um, that spending those outputs would create. And then the network can come to consensus about locking those key images. Um, so it can essentially say, if we see a transaction that spends these, or that has this key image, we're just not going to allow it to be spent on the network. And you can come to consensus that way. The nice properties that this, oh, also, yeah, um, this does have privacy impacts as well. That's important to say. You're dif differentiating your transactions from the normal network transactions. So um, ideally, you don't use these transactions um, as inputs to other ring signatures. So you do that blacklisting. Um, but this provides some really nice properties. So it gives us like an infinite staking. So once someone's staked, they don't need to restake. It just lasts forever until they want to leave the network. Um, and also allows us to define kind of like an easy penalty system as well. Um, in Oxen, basically what happens if your node's not running at the, um, at, at the proper performance, then we can uh, blacklist your key image from being spent for a certain amount of time. Um, and that has an opportunity cost. And we can also do slashing if we want by preventing that key image from being spent at all. Cool. Um, and the next, the next aspect is rewards. So um, this one's pretty simple. You can basically just take uh, the Coinbase transaction um, and split that reward. So the initial thing that we did, we had miners and originally, um, was that we had some portion being given to the miners and then some portion being given to the, given to the, um, the nodes on the network. Um, and a simple way to do this is to have your uh, nodes or in an ordered list. Um, so that when a node reaches the top of the list, you pay it back, pay it out, and then it goes to the bottom of the list and you just keep doing that process on and on again. It's kind of what Ethereum does as well. 
Um, so what do we have now? Like with those two things that I talked about, like we have a very, very basic staking system um, with those stakers being rewarded. Um, but what we don't have yet, um, stakers don't have any purpose other than just locking supply. Um, they're not involved in consensus. We haven't built a layer two yet, so we need to add some more things to this. Uh, so what do we need to add? Uh, so stakers need to contribute some sort of network infrastructures to the network. So this is, um, you know, the, this is traditionally a VPS or some sort of server infrastructure. Um, and that infrastructure needs to be able to communicate with each other so we can actually do interesting things with it. Um, and we need to be able to remove infrastructure that's not performing uh, to the level that we expect. Cool, so what infrastructure? So typically we're talking about computation resources, network resources, and, and storage resources. With, the, with these things, you can kind of generally construct most applications um, in a decentralized manner. Um, and the staker has to be contactable on the network as well. So um, they have to register an IP address and a port that they're contactable at, and they have to respond to other servers too. So yeah, how does the network registration actually work? Um, so we talked a bit about the Ed25519 key that's associated with every stake. Uh, essentially, we have a peer-to-peer -peer message um, that's propagated into the network when someone uh, stakes. They also need to register their uh, hardware as well. So they'll sign a message with their Ed25519 key, which specifies the port and the IP address of their service node. They'll send that into the message and the, message will pick, uh, the other servers will pick it up and store it in a local database. Um, and using this approach is a bit more flexible than just putting the IP address and the port in the actual registration transaction, because if you want to change your IP address, you can, you can still do it um, by updating your propagated network message. Um, we also need network policing as well, um, because we don't want to just have uh, resources out on the network that aren't actually up or pro are providing poor performance. Um, the most naive approach to this is probably just to build like some centralized node in the network, which looks at the performance of every other node, um, and then makes like uh, put some transactions on chain to say this node is working, this node isn't working. Um, this is not a great approach because it's centralized. Obviously, this like service could essentially ban all of the nodes on the network if they just decided they wanted to do that. Um, the way that we do it is kind of a self or a, the network kind of self polices itself. So. These nodes, are, these nodes are drawn together into a group of nodes, and then they historically measure the performance of other nodes in the network. So they'll ask them for data, they'll ping them to see if they're online. Um, and then we draw groups later on um, in the protocol as well um, to uh, vote uh, essentially by supermajority on which nodes they think are performant or not. Um, and th this gives you a kind of, yeah, a self-policing based approach where the network will decide which nodes it wants to slash on which nodes it doesn't want to slash. And there's a um, there's also a, a kind of benefit to that as well in terms of the network performance too. So yeah, now what do we have? Uh, we've got basic staking, we've got rewards, we've got a civil resistant um, attack or attack resistant network um, and poor performance architecture or poor performance nodes are being removed as well. And it's all built on, on CryptoNode slash Monero. Do you love coffee and Monero as much as we do? Consider making gratuitous.org your daily cup. Pay with Monero for premium fresh beans. And if you like what you taste, send a digital cash tip directly to the Guatemalan farmers that made it possible. Proceeds help us grow this channel, gratuitous, and Monero. So 
So what can we do now, uh, specifically at the layer one, there's some interesting things that we can do. So um, we can do instant finality, we can have checkpointing, um, and we can build other applications as well. And I'll talk about a little bit about this. So instant finality, um, I think Dash was the first uh, coin to kind of come up with this in the masternode system. They have a thing called instant send. Um, it would be really cool if we could do instant send on top of Monero, um, and that was kind of the impetus for this uh, idea. Um, so layer one transactions on Monero are taking 10 blocks to confirm. That's more of a wallet uh, limitation, but um, I looked about, I tried to find some more information about um, the longest reorgs in the Monero chain, and I think I found some information that potentially up to 20 blocks was the longest reorg that we've seen. Um, so yeah, the users will need to have some sort of security tolerance essentially um, when they're accepting a transaction. Um, if there's if there's reorgs that are up to um, that length, they may want to wait longer, they may want to wait less. It just depends on their preference. Um, but it would be nice if the, we could uh, finalize transactions without having to wait for an excessive amount of com confirmations. So if you're buying something at a store, you can make that transaction and then just leave and they're confident that that transaction is going to confirm eventually. So yeah, how do we do uh, instant finality? So we draw um, these kind of nodes that have been created that I was talking about before into quorums, which are groups of randomly selected nodes um, from the network. Uh, users will submit their transactions to these quorums directly. Um, and those uh, that, that group of nodes will essentially check the validity of the transaction. So if they're happy that the transaction isn't being double spent or isn't violating any of, any of the other rules of the protocol, they will put a signature on top of that transaction, um, which is a super a super majority signature. So it's essentially, um, you know, if, if there was 20 nodes, it would be like 17 nodes out of 20 would be signing on top of this signature or on top of this transaction. That transaction then gets resubmitted back into the mempool, um, but in this case has this special signature on top of it. And essentially um, what that signature denotes is that if there is a block created by a miner which um, spends the same key image in our case, because the um, that's the unique part of a Monero transaction or a, a crypto node transaction, if there is another block that spends that key image, um, that block will not be valid and will not be accepted to the network. Uh, and this is the same way that Dash does it as well. Um, it's just we're using key images instead; they're using uh, like particular outputs. Um, so it's yet yeah, fairly well studied approach. There are some caveats around syncing because. Uh, you generally like your um, transactions that you send into the mempool aren't like higher order objects, um, but we sync these transactions as if they're kind of blocks. Um, yeah, so that's been integrated into Oxen um, since 2019. Um, process hundreds of thousands of transactions using Blink now, it's a default method. And your, your average time for this signature to be placed uh, by the quorum on a transaction is about 1.5 seconds. So it's very fast and you get uh, confirmation that that transaction will be occluded and um, essentially like it holds more consensus weight than, than the new blocks that would be created. So cool, yeah. Uh, another thing that we can do is checkpointing. Um, so this has probably been talked about a bit more frequently in the Monero community. Uh, Monero actually already places checkpoints uh, on the chain in new releases. They don't place them automatically. There's no automated system. Essentially what a checkpoint does is it says that you know, once a checkpoint is placed on the chain, there can't be a reorganization past that checkpoint. Um, so yeah, they, they really limit the um, ability for 51% attackers to mine a chain secretly and then submit that to the network and revert, revert a whole bunch of transactions. 
because if they do that um, and they don't have the checkpoint on their chain, then it'll just be invalidated by the network. Cool. So it's a, it's a very similar idea with checkpointing. We draw um, these service nodes into quorums of nodes. They look at historical blocks um, and they'll essentially place a checkpoint on these historical blocks. Um, and then we can decide um, what, what rules we want to have around these checkpoints. And it's a similar thing like the the quorum uh, has to have a supermajority of votes to say that this particular block is, is valid. Um, so yeah, we have implemented this in Oxen. Basically, the way it works is that every fourth block is checkpointed. And once you have two checkpoints on a chain, that chain has reached finality and you can't uh, revert past that point. So even if a miner was uh, to produce a chain in secret and submit it, it would just be invalidated by the network. Um, and yeah, in most cases, that means we're reaching complete finality for all transactions after eight blocks. Um, it can be more depending on whether the network is able to come to consensus about placing a checkpoint on that chain. And yeah, it's 250,000 checkpointed blocks. The system's been running for a million blocks now uh, with the same block time as Monero, so about two minutes, so yeah, multiple years. Um, also, like uh, most of you are probably aware of uh, like the applications that we build um, on top of um, Oxen. So, um, yeah, you can do these layer one improvements, but you can also do uh, layer two applications when you have this um, layer two that you've built. Um, and yeah, you can use, utilize the decentralized properties of the net. So yeah, obviously Session is the application that we develop. It's the biggest application that's on top of Oxen. Um, and essentially we're, we're basically just exploiting the storage uh, resources of the network and exploiting the bandwidth resources of the network. Messages are routed using the bandwidth and then stored on these servers for a particular amount of time. Um, so that's a pretty simple uh, application. It's also important to note that um, although you can store messages on service nodes individually, service nodes can always go offline or online, but you can actually build layers on top of the layer two to provide um, more redundancy around storage. So we have this thing called swarms where um, a message is replicated across a bunch of nodes. And then if one of those nodes goes offline, at least you don't lose your message. There's other copies that exist. Cool. And then, yeah, LokiNet, um, if you were here at Alex's talk before, obviously it's generalized onion router. Um, and yeah, there's more information about that online as well. So um, to bring this back to how this kind of relates to uh, Monerotopia and the Monero world, um, what would Monero's ideal route be to proof of stake? Or if it, if it was going to follow kind of the Oxen um, route, there would need to be some changes at the consensus level. So supporting key image locking um, at the base layer would be awesome. Um, allocating a portion of the block reward towards uh, staking and then defining a fixed staking requirement as well would be necessary. Um, and then also changing the output um, selections to avoid selecting outputs that we used um, for, for staking essentially. But this is probably not a very realistic route, the route that I spoke about before um, to Monero adopting proof of stake. There's a lot of, um, there's not a lot of agreement on proof of stake. Um, and yeah, it would just be consensus changes at the Monero level, especially economic changes are very likely to be rejected. So how could we build this without protocol support? I know this is a little bit controversial, um, but yeah, we could use time locked outputs to lock Monero for periods of time. Um, and then expose the transaction extra or expose the TX key in the transaction extra field. This would essentially allow you to do like what we did in our version one of, of staking um, and have a, a bootstrapped network from uh, like with staking with XMR. Uh, you could mint a new token um, that could either be off on another chain uh, or 
there's constructions out there. I don't think they're actually um, implemented. Well, I know that they're not implemented in Monero yet, but there was a, tra uh, a construction called um, MARCT, which is multi-asset ring CT, which would allow for tokens to be minted on top of Monero. Um, if something like that existed, then you could also reward those stakers who were uh, staking in Monero with tokens on top of Monero. But more likely, you're probably going to have to use an external, uh, an external token to do this. Um, yeah, and then you would reward tokens essentially to those users who are staking Monero through this time-locked output method. Um, and you could punish uh, via opportunity costs. So say if you got people to stake uh, Monero for 90 days and then their infrastructure went offline, then you could essentially say, we're not going to pay your rewards and your Monero is going to be locked up for the rest of the 45 days, which is an opportunity cost that, that would um, affect them. But yeah, you, you probably want protocol uh, level, level changes to do something like this. And also uh, don't do this without talking to Monero research, research people because it probably has a very large privacy effect that um, I'm not considering. Uh, yeah, so this network would essentially allow you to kind of bootstrap a network of Monero stakers. You could do stuff like creating incentivized apps like what we've done with Session and, and LokiNet. You could also create consensus networks on top of Monero as well. Uh, this would be useful for maybe like trialing checkpoints. You could place your own trial checkpoints and uh, also do like trial like uh, confirmations for instant finality. Um, it's not like you still need consensus layer changes to make those uh, changes actually work, but it may offer um, some incentive to say like, uh, this is actually working on a secondary network and maybe this is something that can be adopted later down the track. Cool. Uh, so thanks for listening to my talk. If you want to find out more um, about the Oxen products, all the links are there. I'm on session as well if you want to message me and I'll be here at the conference. And there's some references as well to some of the research on this. I didn't talk much about proof of stake. I should have talked more about it, but um, we have a white paper up here uh, for how it all works um, and our checkpointing and our instant finality system. Uh, so yeah, thanks guys. You have time for a few questions? Yeah, of course. Any questions for Key? I already have a question to your colleague, uh, but I figured about long range attacks uh, from your presentation. Um, I just want to confirm, do you use a hidden amounts or not? In, in your network. Oh, in the staking system, is it hidden amounts or? Yeah, is it macro network with a hidden amounts, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, but, it's... Yeah, but uh, what about bonding? Uh, you reveal amounts for the bonding? For, sorry? Uh, for when the people log the coins, uh, yeah. the, the, the stake is... The... Yeah, yeah, those, those yeah, amounts are completely revealed. So my question, do you, do you consider uh, to build a system where uh, the stakers would uh, log the coins without revealing amount? But still building uh, correct consensus, yeah, which will fix this all with the hi hidden calculations. Yeah, we, we've considered it. I think it's Oxen has a bit of a different uh, system in terms of it has a fixed staking requirement, right? So there's fifteen thousand Oxen. So you kind of already know when someone is staking that they're locking that they're locking a certain amount of coins. They're locking fifteen thousand Oxen. So it's less of a privacy advantage to have that amount hidden because it's already kind of implied by when you stake. Um, and also the, um, the staking portion of Oxen is like uh, fairly small, like there's 1800 nodes um, that are staking. And uh, generally like we feel that they are giving up their privacy to provide this network service and are being rewarded for doing that. Um, so 
the, the general, like they can still move back to privacy as well after they've finished staking and with their rewards. Um, but while they're staking, we feel that, you know, it's perhaps not as important. Uh -huh, okay, thank you. And uh, last question is, uh, the algorithm of consensus is uh, PBFT, is yeah. it correct? Yeah, okay. close to that. Yeah. And that's why you have a finality. Yes, yeah. Yeah, the, I just uh, was um, thinking that it would be really nice because PBFT is also a great thing because it uh, can give you a finality feature, but it would be really cool if uh, you guys can build the uh, PBFT on top of uh, hidden amounts. Yeah, yeah. So nobody reveal how much they have, but everything is uh, fixed and working. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would yeah, be very cool. Be really interested in that as well, yeah. Thank you. Any other questions for Key? Do we have anything online? I think that's it. Let's give it up for Key. Cool. Thanks, Jess.